Hey, everybody. It's Frank Scappatici, and we are back on the Virtual Real Estate Investing Podcast. This is a solo episode. My partner, John, is in Georgia looking at a storage facility we're under contract to purchase. He actually drove there from the Panhandle in Florida because we have two other facilities we're under contract on. So we went straight from one site to do some on-site due diligence to another. So we're very, very busy. For us, that's a big deal. Um, we've never closed more than one deal in a month previous to May, which is when uh, a lot of these deals are going to close. So we're really, really excited. But uh, and, and I just got back from travel too. I was in Alabama last weekend, um, left the wife and kids. First time I've went on a solo vacation, I think. And I went golfing on the Robert Trent Jones trail with seven of my buddies. And uh, we rented a house, big Airbnb. Stayed down in Alabama, played golf three days in a row, two rounds of golf every single day, and uh, played an awesome course one day, Ross Bridge, one of my favorite golf courses ever played. Amazing, amazing golf trip. Really, really awesome to be able to stay in touch with friends that most of them I've known since I was 13 or 14 years old. So really, really, really awesome tradition. Um, we've established, really, really happy. I played well. I shot an 84 at Ross Bridge. And um, I'm typically like a 12 handicap, 13 handicap. So on that difficult to course, that's a good score. So that was one of the best rounds I think I played. The course is really hard for all you golfers out there. Awesome trip though. If I was uh, going to recommend where to stay on that trip, I would recommend staying. If you could find an Airbnb in between Birmingham and Montgomery in a nice area, I would do it. Um, if you can stay at Ross Bridge and do two rounds there, do it. The place is beautiful, super nice, uh, a little fancy. I think it's going to be a high-end destination uh, over the coming years. Uh, we stayed in Montgomery. Montgomery, um, there's uh, it's it's the east side has some nice pockets, but it was a little rough uh, where we stayed, and um, I'll leave it at that. So anyway, uh, what am I going to talk about for real estate today? I want to talk about things we're seeing in the current environment and things we're experiencing. Um, this is April of 2022, and what everyone's talking about is what's going on with rates, what's going on with the Fed, and how is it affecting um, deals. And, uh, I can only speak for people doing deals in commercial real estate deal sizes, one to 5 million, but most of our deals have really been one to 2 million. So we're on the lower end of the spectrum where you don't see as much like CMBS, um, type loan products. It's, uh, it's a lot of banks, local credit unions. That's, that's who we're dealing with. So my, the terms we get are going to be very, um, reflected, reflective of that. So, I'll, to give some context as to what we're seeing, I'm going to tell you what rates and what terms we were getting in October of last year compared to now. So we we were getting 4.25% interest rate, interest-only payments for the first year, 20-year balloon, right? So no, nothing, no short-term debt. And uh, in some cases, it was fixed, fixed rate the whole way through. And then we had one deal where it was a five-year interest-only, or excuse me, five-year interest rate reset, meaning you close in the deal and in five years, um, your interest rate on that particular asset might be um, 200 bips above the uh, treasury, right? So it's a floating rate. It can reset after five years and every five years after that, right? That's pretty common too. You'll see that. So the loans were great. We had low interest rates. Uh, historically, um, we had no balloons and we had interest only periods of a year. And at worst, we were getting a five-year reset. Those are solid terms from a credit union for people doing deals our size, especially with 
you know, that was the deal I'm describing in October. That was our first deal ever. So we had no track record. So getting all that done in our first deal is pretty awesome. So anyway, now what we're seeing is even with more of a track record, not a ton, but a little bit more, um, we we're getting 5% interest rates, 5.25. Um, the best one I've seen this month is 4.75. Um, and lenders are also being a little stingier on um, the length of the maturity date. Uh, we have some lenders giving us five-year resets with a 10-year balloon. Um, some lenders are giving us five-year balloon payments. And uh, I don't like balloon payments. Um, I know that there's a lot of real estate investors that don't worry about it as much. They say, hey, if there's no prepayment penalties and you operate the way you should, um, you should be able to refire exit that property as needed. Uh, to preserve um, the investment. But uh, I just know that most of for the foreclosures that happened in the great financial collapse were the result of balloons. So I just don't like balloons. I might be being a wuss there, um, but that's just how I feel. But that's what lenders got to hedge themselves right now. They're not in a great spot either. They got to make sure that they have a spread um, in the uh, unpredictable rate environment we're going into. So I understand that they're trying to figure out ways to make it work for them too. So I get it, right? I understand why this is all happening, I think. Um, so we're, we're seeing we're seeing terms that are just not as good. So what's going to happen to the real estate market, right? We've been in an environment with low rates and people have been making big assumptions in commercial real estate on their year-over-year rent increases. In storage, um, a broker told us in Tampa some of the larger players, some of the larger private equity funds and REITs were making 10% year-over-year rent increase assumptions on their underwriting. That's really wild. Most of the time um, in the history, history of the US, I'm sure those people were using 2 to 4% as their year-over-year rent increase assumptions, meaning you know, if you're renting out a storage unit for 100 bucks, the next year it's going to be 102 or $104. Now they're saying the next year it's going to be 110 Inflation's high, so if you made that assumption in 2020 and 21, you'd be correct, but that's a pretty bold assumption to make going forward, right? So people have been making really, really, really bold assumptions, and we've been in a low rate environment. Now, if rates go up, in order to sustain the current pricing that we see in this world, people are going to have to continue to make big year-over-year rent increase assumptions. And I think people are going, are stopping or um, doing that in lower volume than they were last year. People are acknowledging that rates are going up and that also um, hampers inflation. And that should make rent year-over-year rent increases wane out a little bit. We shouldn't see 10%. We should see normal stuff, 2 to 4%. Um, if rates went up to 10%, we would see a decrease likely in the next couple of years in year-over-year rent increases, right? So um, what does that mean? Well, those two things that have been boosting pricing and compressing cap rates, if they're both gone, then pricing has to flatten out or appreciation has to flatten out in commercial real estate to some extent, right? So we do expect, or at least I expect pricing to cool off a little bit, maybe to see some um, some cap rate expansion. Things that we're selling at a cap rate of five in Florida in 2021, maybe it's a five and a half or a six in 2022 in the third quarter or fourth quarter. I don't think we're going to see massive cap rate expansion or I can't think of a reason that it would happen. I, I don't know everything, but um, some expansion I think is warranted. Um, so what's happening to buyers in this environment and brokers, I guess, is people are under contract and they're seeing all this happening 
They uh, maybe they got a term sheet from a lender, but the rate wasn't locked yet or there wasn't committed yet. They're under contract on a deal, and the lender goes, "Hey, we had a uh, rates rates were hiked, and um, instead of a four two five interest rate, now it's four point seven five. And the buyer's like, "Crap! I uh, I was really aggressive on year over year rent increases in this deal, and it was a little thin, and now I got to retrade." meaning renegotiate the contract with the broker or the agent or the seller, or I got to back out of this contract if my due diligence money is not locked in. Or maybe I'm willing to lose my due diligence, earnest money, um, if, uh, if I'm really, really bearish on the deal. And you're seeing a lot of people drop out of contract. So a lot of retrading, a lot of buyers falling out of contract, and uh, I'm sure brokers are getting frustrated. But what does that meant for people like us, um, the opportunists out there, um, that are a little down market. Well, it's been good for Grayline because we've been able to pick up contracts that dropped out of contract. So we had two, two of the four facilities we are purchasing this quarter. We did not win the deal in best and final. Someone offered, you know, hundred grand higher than us or whatever, because we would come in a little under list. Um, based on our underwriting. And those brokers then call this back and they're really just looking for someone who they feel like is honest and is reliable to close because the other person dropped out. And they probably realized that because they told their seller, hey, we're going to go with this buyer. Um, they're good to go. And then that buyer then kind of, in a way, screws them over, right? They drop out. They're really looking for reliability. They want someone who they feel is safe and that is not going to retrade them 30 days down the road, is not going to drop out the contract. So I think brokers are going to start to be willing, um, even more so than they are, to favor reliability over the highest price, right? There's already some of that, obviously. Brokers want to make sure people can close. But now I think they really want to make sure people can close because that broker probably can't strike out more than two times with a buyer before that seller starts questioning um, their listing agreement with that broker and they might lose that relationship. So the brokers, maybe they get a little more uh, risk adverse as uh, as interest rates change and the environment changes. So I think that's an opportunity. If, um, if you're us or someone like us, to me, that means make sure you have the top of your funnel ready, meaning all your leads, all your relationships with brokers and hammer those things. Get LOIs or letters of intent out the door because Deals that um, even you lose on, if you continue to follow up and continue to maintain relationships and establish relationships, I think there's going to be more deals available to you as buyers drop out, some people start sitting on the sidelines and other people fall out of contract. That creates opportunity if you're a believer long-term in the US economy. I also think for people um, like us who are in the operational value add space, or maybe if you're someone who's buying stabilized assets, I think um, even even better opportunity, right? Because we're, we're willing to hold our assets more than three to five years. We, when we underwrite our deals, because we're getting long-term debt or seeking long-term debt, we pretty much have to have buy assets that can cash flow on actuals, meaning what the original seller has been generating, right? Like banks are lending to us based on actuals. They're, they're not really such believers in gray line that they're willing to take the leap with us. Those That's a bridge lender or another type of lender. You go into a bank, they're looking at the actuals and the existing revenue in that facility. And they're like, hey, we want to make sure that those actuals can cover debt service or maybe or at least close to covering debt service, right? So they're hedging their risk there. So by design, we're not really under the gun when we buy a property, at least in our underwriting. So I think 
the current environment is kind of awesome for us because yeah, like our cash flow is going to go down if rates go up and we still have to pay today's prices for sure. But we're not going to be in a position unless things go really, really bad to have to fire sale or to be in serious trouble. So I think um, in environments like this, I kind of like being um, the operational value add person because we can hold stuff and it doesn't really hurt us, right? Cash flow is king. We don't have to, to worry about um, the environment totally screwing us over as much as maybe a developer, for example, or someone who um, is uh, doing like the cash out refi strategy with the rent producing asset. We, uh, we don't have to um, panic. Um, the other type of person I'd like to be in this environment is the person with a ton of cash and um, I can buy stuff cash in in really, really good markets. I'm thinking major metros. I think uh, when rates go really, really high, the people that are buying cash in LA, New York, Austin, Tampa, Dallas, like really, really, really great cities. I, I'd like to be that person too. I, uh, I'm just not wealthy or connected enough at this point in my life to, to be that person. So hopefully one day, uh, but I would like to be in that seat for sure. Um, that's really it. Um, I gave a quick update on how we're doing and what we're seeing in the current environment. My advice, right? My advice is be active. Don't stop. Um, and don't, don't, uh, let the fear in the market, um, dissuade you from executing your business plan, doing what you got to do. Just keep your head down. And that's what we're going to try to do too. I hope, uh, you guys have a great finish to the week. It's springtime. Get outside, go golfing and have a great weekend.